this one is. Mine are working. Testing. Oh, there you go. So, well, we're, we're going to start this over. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> I would now like to call the March 14th, 2023 Longmont City Council Study Session to order. Uh, the live stream can be viewed for this meeting at the city's YouTube chan channel, longmontpublicmedia.org. Uh, watch. You can also uh, watch it there or Comcast channels 8 or 880. Let's uh, have a roll call, please, Don. Mayor Peck. Present. Councilmember Dalgo-Faring. Here. Councilmember Martin. Here. Councilmember McCoy. Present. Mayor Pro Tem Rodriguez. Here. Councilmember Waters. Here. Councilmember Yarbrough. Here. Mayor, you have a quorum. Thank you. Let's stand for the pledge. I pledge allegiance to Anyone wishing to speak at first call public invited to be heard will need to add his or her name to the list outside the council chambers. Only those on the list will be invited to speak at the first public invited to be heard. Uh, each speaker is limited to three minutes and we would like your name and address. Do we have any motions to direct the city manager to add agenda items to future meetings? Seeing none, uh, we'll go right on to the public invited to be heard. Let me grab that. So the first person on our list is Sherry Malloy. Hey, all right, you're good. <laughs> Let go. Good evening, Sherry Malloy, 1632 Sherman Way, here in support of the Button Rock Management Plan. As you all know, all three appropriate boards, PRAB, Water, and Sustainability, support this plan. I suspect the main opposition you may hear from tonight is about prohibiting dogs. Hopefully dogs will not, not be your main consideration as our city leaders to support this well-researched, developed, and comprehensive management plan. That said, I'll speak about dogs. Due to the exponential increase in human usage and resulting presence of dogs, 
this development to prohibit them is long overdue. Parks are suited for dogs. Some natural areas are too, but not Button Rock, or at least not anymore. Button Rock is managed as a protected preserve with forests, wildlife, and riparian areas that are all impacted by both human and dog traffic. The entire preserve is a sensitive ecological habitat with an abundance of wildlife, including deer, cougars, bobcats, turkey, raptors, declining abert squirrels, and much more. Many years ago, I saw either badger or wolverine at Button Rock. It's also our water supply, so it requires extra protection. Because of increased usage, more restrictions and protections are needed to protect this preserve. We've impacted and taken more than our share of habitat from wildlife in the plains. We need to restrict the negative impacts of humans in access in our foothills and beyond. Our natural areas are not our personal playground. Sometimes access needs to be limited. Simply put, no dog should be at Baton Rock and no new trails should be developed there. I've lived in Longmont and hiked at Button Rock since 1984, almost 40 years. I have become increasingly concerned at the damage I've seen over the years, and especially the last three. All of our natural places have been loved to damage since COVID as people sought out safer outdoor recreation. That, coupled with our population growth, has created a mess that needs relief. Summers and weekends are nuts at Button Rock. So many people in cars. There's so much land erosion and tr trail shortcuts. Trails have become wide from people avoiding mud and runners seeking softer ground. People go off trail for views, photos to relieve themselves, picnic, or just explore. The land suffers with native plants trampled, wildlife disturbed, habitat harmed, and invasive species spread. Litter has increased, especially loose and bagged, bagged dog poop. I've always had a dog. Of course, my beloved, always leashed dogs enjoyed Button Rock. They also enjoyed our neighborhood in Lou Miller Park and really anywhere I walked them. For the last several years, I left Seamus at home. It was hard, but I had to take responsibility for my part in contributing to the harm I saw at Button Rock. Button Rock is our only preserve in Longmont. It's a privilege to have any access. My father always said, with privilege comes responsibility. This preserve deserves our, our respect and responsible management. Prohibiting dogs is a sacrifice worth making to help safeguard this gem. A former council did so at Sandstone Ranch. Now it's your turn. It's important. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Jack Brandon. Hello. Um, my name is Jack Brandon, and I live at near Button Rock Preserve. And I'd like to just tell you about the the problems that your director of parks has brought onto the property owners in this area. There's specifically in the new Button Rock Preserve Management Plan on page 93 in the top right column, it says there are additional approximately 30 parking spaces on the overflow about a mile from the parking lot in Button Rock. This is a new parking lot that used to be a turnaround for large vehicles and it's extremely dangerous for your visitors to walk down the dirt road there and it's causing lots of problems there and I would just like to say that 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 is not a parking area it's a turnaround thanks thank you Jack Shaquille Delal Shaquille Delal, 219 Francis Street. Uh, mayor and members of council, 
like a lot of other people in our community, I know that some of you had signs on your lawn that said, quote, science is real, as a statement of your values these past few years. The statement science is real is a powerful one. It endorses the philosophy of truth and the power of systematic investigation to make sense of the world around us. It knows that these are ways to make the world a better place for the people living in it. I'm here to ask the city tonight to use a scientific method to make the city better. The problem is urgent. I did not know Anthony Emile, but the story of his death saddened me and reading of the love of his neighbors made me sad for them. I know that you know that Anthony died when he was hit by a car. The car was the proximate cause, but it was not the root cause. The root cause is a failure of traffic engineering. I am not a traffic engineer, but I know that there was a failure of traffic engineering because Anthony O'Meal de is dead. The Transportation Advisory Board just reviewed the Third Avenue plan yesterday, and it calls for crossing improvements at the place where he died, Third and Pratt. Eventually, someday. But as we stand here tonight, six months later, Every other pedestrian who crosses at that intersection is just as likely to die. I will be crossing at that intersection tonight on my way home. Will I die? This past weekend at the retreat, the city council put on its agenda Vision Zero, a commitment to improve pedestrian safety through improvements to the design of our transportation infrastructure. The city often cites as an example Jersey City, which achieved zero traffic deaths last year. In conversations with city staff, my friends and I have heard them say that Longmont will never be able to do the same thing unless it embraces something called tactical urbanism that Jersey City used to test out quick, inexpensive improvements before committing to pouring concrete. You can learn a lot about how to improve an intersection and do it pretty quickly with a few traffic cones and a bucket of paint. We could do it tonight before this meeting even ended, and if we acted with a sense of urgency that this problem deserves. The staff we've spoken to about it say that we're not doing tactical urbanism because of bureaucracy and a culture of inaction. Let's see if we can find a way to make this intersection safer for everyone and collect the data we need to inform a more permanent solution. Maybe we discovered that it doesn't make sense to change the intersection at all. And it's fine the way it is. We'll pick up the traffic clones and clean up the paint just as quickly as they were put down. But maybe it'll work and we'll have made the city a better place right now. And maybe in that process, we can make sure that no one else dies the same preventable death while we wait for the infrastructure improvements that we desperately need. Thank you. Thank you, Shaquille. Antoinette Kemper. Antoinette Kemper, Fifth Avenue. Good evening. Equality is the essential idea that everyone should have the same and equal opportunity. Equity means treating people unequally in order to engineer equal outcomes. Recently, J.C. Cooper, a transgender woman, won a lawsuit against USA Powerlifting for banning transgender women from competing in the women's division. Since the case was filed, USA Powerlifting established a division for transgender athletes, but the presiding judge said forbidding athletes from competing based on their gender identity violates the Minnesota Human Rights Act. I've been a competitive powerlifter for the past 30 plus years and compete in USA powerlifting. The reason many of us choose to compete in this federation is because it conducts drug testing and we're seeking a level playing field. There are multiple other federations that don't drug test. 
USA Powerlifting originally barred transgender athletes from competing based on its anti-doping policy. All forms of hormone therapy are banned in and out of competition, even if prescribed by a doctor, and no therapeutic, therapeutic use exemptions are granted. Lifters who require hormone therapy can't compete in USA Powerlifting, but transgender people require hormone therapy. Allowing transgender women to compete with biological women erases all the progress we've made as, as athletes. A transgender woman, despite hormone therapy and reduced testosterone levels, still has higher bone and muscle density, a larger bone structure, and stronger connective tissue. Every person given an unfair advantage denies another an opportunity. We compete by gender, weight class, and age because of the obvious differences in natural strength based on these factors. But Cooper claims trans athletes deserve equitable opportunity and a separate trans division doesn't provide a viable chance to compete. But do the biological women competing against her have a viable chance to compete? How many women will be discouraged from competing in the sport that so many have found to be personally empowering? This is one example of equity gone wrong. Equity is based on the premise that most people are bigoted, racist, sexist, homophobic, etc., and the only way certain groups of people can succeed is if they are given an advantage. I reject this divisive theory and believe most people are, in fact, good. America was rooted in equality and freedom. Equality of rights is being banded in favor of equity. An equal playing field doesn't guarantee equal outcome, nor should it. Not everyone has the same abilities. But an unequal playing field is simply discrimination. In 1983, I walked up the Bring Me Men ramp at the Air Force Academy as part of the eighth class with women. Forty years later, biological men are receiving awards as women on International Women's Day while biological women stand on the sidelines. We are going backwards. Thank you. Thank you, Antoinette. Carrie Adams. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Uh, Carrie Adams, 500 Lashley Street in Longmont, Colorado. I am here for two reasons tonight. First of all, to thank you for your support of the things that you do for public education and especially for our students at Silver Creek High School. We appreciate your support with our cultural events like our MLK event and our uh, Lunar New Year event, and we appreciate you being part of um, the work that you do in our community. I think our community is a great example of a, a positive partnership between businesses, between nonprofits, between government, and with public schools. Tonight, I also, I would like to introduce some of our students. Our seniors uh, went through school during COVID, and our seniors do capstone projects, and we are very proud of our young people and the work that they are doing in our community. They are going to be coming through council and sharing a few things that they are doing with their capstone projects to see the work that our students are doing. Currently, our kids have put in over 4,300 volunteer hours in our community and around the world, and so we are very proud of them. They'll be sharing some of those things that they're working on. Each one of these students has a mentor in our community that works with them and guides them and directs them, and we are so grateful for the adults in our community who help with that and who help lead and guide. Uh, thank you, Councilmember Marsh, for supporting our students as she serves as a mentor for one of our students. Public education in a lot of areas is under scrutiny, and what I hope tonight and in the next few weeks as you hear 
the work that our students are doing in the school district, in the community, in the businesses, and around the world, that you'll be proud of them and that you will see that our future is in good hands and that you'll continue to support public education in all the good that we believe our young students are doing. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Maya Kaplan. Maya Kaplan, 4901 Nelson Road. Greetings, Mayor and Council Members. Normalize mental illness, a phrase I'm sure all of you have heard countless times in your lives. But why should society just focus on normalizing mental illness when we can work on normalizing the mind as a whole? With the current setup of school curriculum, kids aren't likely to learn about their brains until high school. And even then, it's only if they elect to take certain classes like psychology. This is why I've created Many Minds Matter, a program that strives to teach elementary schoolers a holistic viewpoint of their brains. Rather than teaching about mental illness as a fatal flaw that someone can be burdened with, I have spent the year trying to emphasize the intricate underworkings of the brain that make us who we are. Throughout my partnership with a therapist at Mindfully and the Lyons Elementary School counselor, we have been able to generate monthly lessons that each focalize on a different aspect of the mind. These lessons have ranged from activities like brain anatomy, speed dating, or decision-making style skits. These are then taught to second and third grade classes by me once a month. By teaching mental illness as just one subsection of a larger picture, I strive to enforce that the brain is something more than just what leads to diagnoses. Whether it was talking about emotions or communication skills, every discussion has linked a what can happen to why it might happen. When society only glorifies the struggles we can face, kids may grow up feeling worthless or broken. I know I sure did. This is why I believe we should go beyond normalizing just mental illness and start normalizing the mind as a whole. And please remember that many minds matter. Thank you, Maya. Catherine O'Connor. I'm sorry, it was Caitlin. Caitlin O'Connor, 4901 Nelson Road. Good evening, council members. My name is Caitlin O'Connor, and I am a senior at Silver Creek High School. I'm also a member of the Silver Creek Leadership Academy. One blood donation can save up to three lives. And for my senior capstone project, I am organizing a series of blood drives and monetary donation events in a project known as Blood for the Better. Every year, over 75 patients die from not receiving a blood transfusion. And when I was 13 years old, I was one of those patients unable to receive a blood transfusion. While I am fortunate enough to still be with us despite not receiving a blood donation, I wanted to ensure that no patient in need of blood was unable to receive a transfusion. Last October, I held a blood drive at Silver Creek, partnered with the blood donation agency Vitalent and my mentor, Mr. Sardinia, a counselor at Silver Creek High School. The drive was open to students and staff members, and I received over 40 donations and exposed many students to their first time donating blood. In addition to this drive, I am receiving monetary donations to the Global Blood Fund, an organization that encourages safe blood donation in developing countries. To wrap up this project, I am planning on hosting my second drive on April 21st and hope to receive just as many, if not more, donors. I strongly encourage everyone in this room to donate blood because you are always somebody's type. Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> Haley Pierce.
Haley Pierce, 4901 Nelson Road. Good evening, City Council. I'm a senior in the Silver Creek Leadership Academy, and I created Little Public Pantries as my capstone project. My goal is to help support those in need in the Longmont community. Little Public Pantries are refurbished newspaper boxes that are filled with non-perishable foods such as canned goods, dried pasta, granola bars, and much more, as well as the basic toiletries. Currently, I have two locations in Longmont. One is at Faith Point Baptist Church, and one is at Longmont's United Church of Christ. I fill these pantries once a month to ensure that they are never empty. Next year, the SCLA sophomore class, community, and local leadership will be filling the pantries for me as I'll be in college. Additionally, community members have been placing anonymous donations directly in the pantries, farther ensuring that they are never empty. These unexpected donations suggest to me that the pantries are not only helping members in the community, but also bringing our community together in a small way. I know people personally that in this community that are too proud to ask for or even receive help. Little Public Pantries allows people to anonymously take what they need without risking their pride. Everyone deserves access to basic necessities without facing judgment. Little Public Pantries provides a safe place for anyone to take what they need, and others are already donating what they can. Little Public Pantries brings together and supports members of this community, and I am so proud of the difference my project has made on the lives of others. Thank you. Thank you, Haley. Natalie Vandershot. Uh, Natalie Vandershaft, 4901 Nelson Road. Good evening, everyone. My name is Natalie, and I just turned 18 years old this past December, and my favorite book is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. I heard about it online and read it over winter break, and I enjoyed it immensely. I'd highly recommend it to anyone in this room. But I haven't always been 18 and in love with The Secret History. When I was 12, I was obsessed with Percy Jackson, and at 8, I learned the wonders of Charlie's Chocolate Factory. And at 5, I discovered what really happens when you give a mouse a cookie. Anyone who loves stories knows the joy of reading starts young, which is how I came to the idea for my capstone project, Between the Pages. Between the Pages is a continuation of a previous project done in 2019 by another senior. It aims to provide a free book fair for kids who attend a Longmont Title I elementary school whose parents may not be able to afford their own books for the home. The books are acquired through donations from around the community, which provides an, provides an excellent opportunity for families whose children are, not, are older now to clear out books they no, they no longer need. The books are redistributed and will be reused for generations for kids to find their passions. And after sorting and going through all the books recently, I can proudly say that we've collected over 1,600 children's books for a book fair to be held at Mountain View Elementary School this Friday, March 17th. These donations were collected from two rounds of donating in November and February, with collections been located at Blue Mountain Elementary School, Altona Middle School, and Silver Creek. My goal was to get 1,000 books in total in order for each child to take home three to four stories, but I'm beyond excited to have that goal blown out of the water. And after volunteering at the Usborne book, book Fairs this past year to get some experience, I also decided to raise funds to be able to purchase book bags and bookmarks for the students to be able to take home with their books. My hope is that through this project, I can help encourage young people to remember that the only reading they do doesn't have to be for school, and that there is joy to be had in reading books in your own time, too. I know that I still love being able to sit down with a good book, and I'm even planning to study creative writing at CU Boulder next year. And so if even a few kids can look back one day and remember fondly the books that they picked, then I'd consider this project a success. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. Miranda Beasley.
Hello to City Council members. My name is Miranda Beasley and I'm from 4901 Nelson Road, Longmont, Colorado. As a participant of SCLA, my senior capstone project is called The Family Meal. I've spent the last year and a half working on it in order to help those affected by the Marshall Fire. I believe that this project is still necessary. People who have lost their homes in large crises, like the Marshall Fire, often have their immediate needs replaced from bedding to furniture to cleaning supplies. Material heirlooms such as cookbooks containing treasured recipes or family photos are much harder to come by. I cannot replace individual books or photos, but I hope that I can lessen the severity of the impact and bring people who have been through so much some solace in the, in the form of good food. At this point in my project, I have a finished cookbook complete with over 50 in-color family recipes from around the community. Some of them come from the Longmont Senior Center, some come from family and friends, and some of them come directly from the administration of the St. Vrain Valley School District. But they're all from different cultures and families and each special in their own way. I plan on distributing my finished product through a combination of community centers and Facebook groups, as well as, an, as, well as a page on a site called Cheddarup that would allow me to have an online place to track how many people use my book. Along with a free PDF of the cookbook for anyone to use, I'm going to collect donations on that webpage that can then be given to charities like the Sister Carmen Center in order to offer further support to those in need. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Miranda. Max, and I'm going to be very interested in how you pronounce your last name. Max Shearer, 4901 Nelson Road. Need a hand? I do, and so do millions of individuals around the country and around the world. Whether they're received by amputees or people born with a limb difference, prosthetics of all types can help build confidence, self-respect, and provide the ability to accomplish many new tasks. However, many children and adults are living day to day without having access to prosthetic devices. I have grown up lucky to have access to this technology, receiving free devices from the Shriners Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City. Every year as I grow, my family and I fly out to Salt Lake City for new prostheses. However, this journey is not accessible nor convenient for many families. If only there was a way to distribute high quality prosthetic devices for no cost, which could be accessed locally within two weeks. This is precisely what my capstone project, Enable Longmont, seeks to achieve. Enable Longmont is a partnership with the nonprofit organization Enable, a worldwide group of engineers and humanitarians who provide 3D printed prosthetics to their local communities. As a student studying at Silver Creek High School, I joined a nearby Enable chapter called the Helping Hands of Littleton. And under the tutelage of Mr. Nate Munro, my enthusiastic and incredibly welcoming mentor, I began 3D printing. Last month, I finished building my first 3D printed prosthetic hand, the Enable Phoenix Hand V3. And I have recently been recognized as a volunteer maker by Enable. And I'm currently working on a new prosthetic design that would allow for a more precise grip. I documented my entire project on the Enable Longmont Instagram page, and as of earlier in March, Enable Longmont has been declared an official chapter of the nonprofit organization. The great benefit of 3D printed prosthetics is that they are extremely light and very cheap to make compared to the expensive carbon fiber hands that I've had in the past. As children grow and change, 3D printed prosthetics provide scalable designs that can fit any disability. I consider myself lucky to have been born with only one hand. My situation has given me an important perspective that lends itself to designing prosthetic limbs where I can use my own body to test out the hands and ascertain what each individual wants to get out of their own prosthetic device. As I finish this semester, I hope to have made several different prototypes for new devices, expanded my enabled chapter in the community, and been able to help those in need by providing prosthetics. 
In the future, I hope to study biomedical engineering, and I hope that my project will inspire you all to explore 3D printing as a way to build your own solutions and to take creativity into your own hands. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Liliana Sanchez. Hello, my name is Liliana Sanchez, um, 900 South Frost Street. I'm a 17-year-old girl living in Longmont, Colorado. I've been accepted into Colorado State University and I plan on pursuing psychology in order to help the youth of tomorrow lead better lives. I have a 4.0 GPA, I've done over 120 hours of community service during high school, and I continue to be a positive role model for my two younger siblings. Someone may look at me and think I have a bright future ahead of, of me, but the truth of the matter is that our nation is under attack. By who, you might ask? The answer is simple, Conoco Oil. The Biden administration has recently approved a Conoco decades-long oil drilling venture in the National Petroleum Reserve, which is owned by the federal government in Alaska, dubbed the Willow Project. While oil and fossil fuels are not a new or recent argumentative topic amongst the government and its people, the truth is that the Willow Project will have devastating effects on the land, our wildlife, and the entire world. By the Biden administration's own estimates, the Willow Project will release 9.2 million metric tons of carbon emissions into the air per year. This goes back on the president's promise to have our carbon emissions by 2030, and this will undoubtedly not only harm the American people for, mo for momentary profit, but will bring about immense harm to the planet as a whole. It's time to stop looking at climate change as a party issue. This is a human issue, an oil company issue, and will negatively be affecting all walks of life if we don't do something about it. It's time to stop being foolish with our resources. Money is only a piece of paper we as a society give value to, and the fact that Conoco prioritizes the preservation of wealth over the American people is extremely frightening. I'm speaking out as a fearful youth, not only for my own sake, but for the sake of my siblings whose futures are being stripped away before they even had the chance to begin. I want, to, I want them to be able to grow old and enjoy the beauty our Earth has to offer, to be able to have their own children, start their own families, and not have to worry about the shifting seasons and plummeting air quality. I'm not asking for immediate action, but I am asking for your support against irreversible climate change. We as Colorado people take pride in our beautiful environment, but none of that will matter if the Willow Project goes forward. I've never done environmental activism before, but now is the time. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to steal my future back, and I urge you to do the same. For our children, their children, and every child thereafter. Thank you. Thank you, Liliana. Lance Whitaker. Council. My name is Lance Wicker. I live at 1750 Collier Street. Uh, I support House Bill 1230, uh, as you all know. Uh, I'd like to let you know today is National Potato Chip Day. It is also National Butterfly Awareness Day. It is also March 14th which is Pi Day. And as many of you may or may not know, that you can take any number combination, no matter how large or small, and you can find it in pie. Of course, in my pie, you find cherries. <laughs> you guys have a nice day. Thank you, Lance. Gary Hodges. Hello, good evening, council members, mayor. Thank you for this time. My name is Gary Hodges. I'm at 2148 Stewart Street. 
I'm here to speak on Button Rock and one other topic if I have time. So my son, who couldn't be here tonight, he sent me some notes. He wanted me to come down here and speak. He makes use of Button Rock quite extensively when he's in town fishing. Um, so he has these comments, which I've peppered in some of my own. Uh, on dogs, he thinks uh, keep the current dog rules, he said, but increase the number of waste bins, provide trash bags. Um, on the fishing program, uh, no, he doesn't think any, mo any changes to the fishing program is necessary. And my addition to that is uh, I did briefly get a chance to read over some of that uh, today. And I think uh, adding day passes is a mistake. It's just going to increase pressure um, on the fishing and also on the use of the area, which it seems like that's uh, one of the issues. Uh, he said, let's see, on update rules and regulations to correspond to present day needs and visitor numbers. Uh, he would like to see bikes allowed so that you could ride up there. I'd say I might like that too. I've enjoyed going up uh, up there with him a few times, but I can't do it anymore. It's just too much of a hike for me. My knees, my feet can't handle it anymore. So it's kind of sad I can't make use of it. And I don't know, maybe if I walked a bike up and they could ride it down, maybe I could go. Um, there he had a topic here, uh, use management zoning to protect resources. I assume that came from something. Uh, he doesn't think there's any need for additional zoning, but um, was worried that it might end up closing some areas of the lake or some shoreline and he didn't think that was necessary and he was really worried having fish that lake extensively that at times there would be some areas of that lake that were closed off um, create a sign package for uh, for the preserve uh, etc he thinks the trails are clear and easy to follow uh, as far as prescribed burning goes he thinks that's fine uh, in the future, consider entry fee and or shuttle transportation for public input. And his comment on that is, uh, is doesn't think shuttles are a good idea. And his comment, and I thought it was funny, get there early if you want a spot. Um, but he did say if a fee is implemented, the fishing permit, uh, he thinks the, the fee should be included with the permit. And I actually, I thought that was actually a nice idea. But here, here's my comment. Here's something a little out of the box. Um, how about cutting down on the number of parking spaces if you just want to limit the people there? I mean, just cut the parking spaces in half or whatever. Um, ah, good grief. Well, I'm not going to get to my other topic. It's one I've been wanting to talk to for a while, but that's fine. I'll, I'll leave it with 30 seconds left, and thank you for your time. Have a good evening. We always have next week, Gary. All right. Thank you. <laughs> um, Diana Barra. Barra. My name is Diana Barra, and I live at 1306 Carnation Circle. On March 9th, three bills regarding the reproductive health, I also call that abortion, were introduced in the Senate. They are all set for committee hearings tomorrow. These bills will negatively impact families and communities throughout the state. First bill is SB 23190. It's called the Deceptive Trade Practice Pregnancy Related Services. One of the four prime sponsors is Representative Karen McCormick. This bill is an attack on pregnancy centers. It calls them anti-abortion centers, fake clinics that are aimed to prevent abortions by persuading people that adoption or parenting is a better option. Hmm. <clears throat> they also say that these anti-abortion centers are the ground level presence of well-coordinated anti-choice movement seems like they're giving them more choices as opposed to just abortion. 
This bill goes on to outlaw abortion reversal drugs and gives language that is threatening to, to the future of crisis pregnancy centers throughout Colorado. SB 189, <clears throat> increasing access to reproductive health care. This is an expansion of HB 22-1279, the Reproductive Health Equity Act, now law, that allows abortions up to birth and defined a human fetus as not human, only tissue, and has no right to life. This bill will require employers, individual, and small group plans to provide coverage for reproductive health care and treatments, including abortion, sterilization, and sexually transmitted infections. It allows patients to use Medicaid transportation for abortion services. You will be subsidizing the cost of these abortions with increased health insurance premiums and your tax dollars. SB 189, with a minor's consent, and that's age 12, allows a healthcare provider to furnish contraceptive procedures, supplies, and information to the minor, including abortions, without notification to or the consent of the minor's parent, legal guardian, or a person having decision-making responsibility for the minor. It will expand the reproductive health care program administered by the Department of Health Care to include family planning related services such as abortion and allow individuals under 19 to apply for and enroll themselves in the program. SB 188 is called the protection, uh, prote Protections for Accessing Reproductive Health Care. One of the prime sponsors is Senator Sonia Yavrez Lewis prevents the state, this prevents the state from recognizing or engaging in any criminal prosecutions or civil lawsuits for anyone who receives, provides, or assists in abortions and gender affirming care. It also prevents state employees from participating in any such interstate investigations. And I do believe that this is unconstitutional according to state law. Thank you, Diana. Jamie Simo. Cheney Simo, 517 Independence Drive. Mayor Peck and City Councilors, tonight you will be voting on whether to accept the Button Rock Preserve Management Plan update, either with or without changes, or to reject it. I'm asking you to vote to accept it. The last time the management plan was revised was 30 years ago. In those 30 years, things have changed. Climate change has made the Front Range drier and more fire prone. In addition, Longmont's population has greatly increased along with development. Visitation rates to the preserve have also skyrocketed, particularly over the last decade, with over 50,000 hikers and over 40,000 vehicles visiting in 2021, the last year for which full data are available. It is imperative to take these changes into account, which the updated management plan does. Button Rock is the source of our drinking water and was purchased to protect the quality and delivery of that water. Protecting the reservoir also protects the sensitive surrounding ecosystem with its accompanying wildlife and native plants. Recreation has been allowed at the preserve since it was opened in the 1960s, but it's always taken a backseat to watershed and habitat preservation protection. The aspect of the management plan update that you've most likely heard the most from the public about is the proposed prohibition of dogs at Button Rock. I'm for this prohibition. There are plenty of other areas for people to take their dogs, both on and off leash, rather than a sensitive ecological preserve that doubles as a source of our city's water. Your dog does not have to go everywhere you do. I am regularly at Golden Ponds in Rogers Grove, and I've seen both bagged and unbagged dogways scattered along the paths, and these are parks within city limits that have trash cans. It is not only disgusting, but a health hazard to have the same lack of consideration in close proximity to our drinking water source. 
In addition, the presence of dogs negatively impacts the movement habits of native wildlife species, and off-leash dogs don't respect established trails. As Button Rock is an ecological preserve, these are all unacceptable consequences of dog visitation. Again, I say, your dog doesn't have to go everywhere you go. Dogs aren't allowed at Sandstone Ranch, and most people obey this restriction. There is an even greater reason to prohibit dogs at Button Rock. So I urge you to accept the Button Rock Preserve Management Plan update without change. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Steve Altshuler. Good evening. Steve Altshuler, 1555 Taylor Drive. I want to apologize for my clapping. <laughs> Um, I've known half of those kids since they were five years old and they were in preschool with my own daughter. So it's kind of neat watching them grow up and come here and talk. Um, there's a variety of things I'd like to cover tonight. I'm going to ask Dr. Waters a rhetorical question because I know you're not supposed to respond. Okay. <laughs> you just did. Um, how many genders are there? There are two genders. We all know that. But we're allowing people in school and other places to grow up believing there's as many genders as they want there to be. And my expression is a woman that wants to be a man who wants to be secretariat and have sex with a camel is not a gender. It's just a weird proclivity. But everyone's talking so much about identity or if you think you're this or if you want to be that, then you are. And for two years, I've been telling people I'm a six foot eight black man named LeBron James. I have yet to receive a check from the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, we are, we are not whatever we think we are. We are what we are. We are male, we are female, that's it. And one of the things that's going on now, some other people were talking about bills coming down the pike, and I would love for the Longmont City Council to speak up to our state government and let them know what people here in Longmont feel. They're trying to pass a bill where a 12-year-old can choose what sex they want to be they can have either um, puberty blockers or a sex change operation that their teacher or principal can direct them towards without even telling their parent. That is so insane. And we need people with some sanity to step up and say, this is not right. The brain isn't fully developed until early to mid-20s. And there are so many cases where 14 and 15-year-olds have changed their sex, had their gender parts removed, and then later in their 20s, they regret it. And now a woman can never have a child, and men are defaced forever. There was recently a bill where our own government is trying to pass a law. I forget which state or if it's a federal bill, so forgive me for that. But there's something where they want people under 25, they want it to be illegal to have them charged with murder if they kill someone because they say their brain is not fully developed. So they're saying that, and at the same time they're saying a 12-year-old can choose their gender and have sex surgery done, and doctors and teachers are going to be outlawed from even telling the parents. It's insane. When I was a kid, there was a thing called, I call bullshit. If someone's telling you a story that makes no sense. People need to stand up and say, this is absurd. Um, one of the laws that's passing right now that change horses has to do with guns, where they want you to be 21 to, be, to buy a gun, but you can be 18 and serve in the military. There is so much stupidity going on, and I really hope that the city council will step up and help us with the state boards. Thank, Thank you, you, Steve. 
Strider, Strider Benston. Yeah, uh, thank you. Strider Benston, 951 West 17th. Uh, this is uh, an example of a uh, democratic public discussion last weekend, city council. I mean, it was uh, excellent back and forth and dealing with a lot of stuff. But since we have a developing upon us, um, uh, gerrymander districts, a culture of hatred, and gun proliferation. Uh, it's very rare to actually hear a democratic discussion to where people can come to a conclusion or a compromise and, and find out how to build our society better. Um, this is, uh, it's big time. I mean, the, the gun culture, there were close to 50,000 people killed in gu with guns in this country uh, last year. It's way, way up, and most of those are suicides. 80% of the suicides, if they didn't have a gun, might go to a uh, counselor and get over the suicide kick. Uh, there are so many things. The button rock thing, um, one time I came down from a run when I lived out there, and I saw two adolescent mountain lions just going across the road. Uh, nature still has some rights left in this world, and we need to keep them up. Um, the thing about the abortion, back in the 20s, when the Ku Klux Klan took over Colorado and almost the country, their number one target was Catholics. And so they were totally on opposite sides on the abortion thing. And then till in the 50s and 60s, they decided, oh, let's pull us together into a right-wing proto-Nazi movement to take over the country using that kind of discrimination. That's, that's kind of what's going on now. What I was wanting to talk about was uh, the bank uh, uh, failures almost collapsed. And Elizabeth Warren has an article in the New York Times today. She started the Consumer uh, Financial Protection Bureau, but the only way they could get it passed was to prevent her from being in charge of it. So then she decided, all right, I'll run for Senate. And she became a senator, uh, Warren. And I voted for her for president uh, last time. But anyway, the point is, uh, if you don't have regulations, you don't have a, a government, you don't have a functional society. Tomasino Campanella wrote in about 1596, City of the Sun, he said, a society without government is about 300 people. Thank you, Strider. We have to have a society that functions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no one else on the list, I'm going to close first uh, call public invited to be heard. Uh, do we have any special presentations or reports? No? Great. Thanks. Uh, so now we're on to our study session items. Lance? Yeah, Mayor. Can, um, can we have a moment of silence for Pat Schroeder today? Pat Schroeder, yeah. I wanted to. Please. Just a moment of silence for her.
I'm not sure everybody knows who Pat Schroeder was, Lance. The first woman congressman from Colorado. Okay, thank you. And she was only able to hold half a seat. Lance. So. Thank you. She had to share a thank seat you, with Strider. John Dellums. Thank you. I don't think we are going to have a moment of silence for uh, Pat Schroeder. I don't think this is the venue to do that, Lance. Okay. But I will personally. <laughs> I will too. Okay. So now we're on to our study session items. The first one is the draft Button Rock Preserve Management Plan. Good evening, Mayor and Council. David Bell, Director of Parks and Natural Resources. Um, it's a little over four years since I was down here doing probably exactly what I'll do tonight, which is really introducing a great staff that has been working for years on a project that was supposed to be two years. Um, and we throw out the same piece that, you know, COVID really stepped in and, and changed the way we we're doing our work in that. It also changed the way that we saw how the public could use our parks too with those increases. So um, during that four years, the staff has been doing a great job, continue to work with our consultants and pulling together this product that we know we've had a long evening already is going to go longer. We're trying to get through a lot of information as quickly as possible, but I will then introduce the staff pretty quickly. Um, we have Price Hadley, who is our watershed, senior watershed ranger at, at Button Rock Preserve. Ken Hewson, our water resource manager. Jim Crick is our ecosystem manager. We have Scott Sievers, who is our um, natural resource technician. And then I will turn it over to Danielle Cassidy, who is going to be the um, lead, pro who has been the lead project manager on this, and she will try to move through this as quickly as possible. Thank you, David, Mayor Peck, and council members. Um, thank you for the time tonight. I have a 30-minute presentation, which I will get through in 15 or less, the best that I can. So I'm going to go fast, but I'll cover all the important things. Um, let's see. So this, this, this presentation is divided into six parts, roughly following how the plan is laid out. So purpose and need, how we developed it, and um, results and uh, recommendations. So this is Button Rock Preserve. It's in the foothills west of Lyons. The green shows you that it is mostly surrounded by public land that's mostly forest service. In the southeast, you can see some Boulder County properties, also public land. And then in the central north, you can see some of the private land, uh, which is accessed through the main gate of Button Rock Preserve. Um, Button Rock Preserve, as you've already heard tonight, is the only preserve in Longmont's system. Um, we have parks, trails, greenways, open spaces, um, but long, uh, Button Rock Preserve is the only preserve that we have, so it's unique. The purpose of Button Rock Preserve, and I'm going to take a minute on this one because this is, this is the underpinning of everything else that I'm going to say. Uh, the purpose of Button Rock Preserve is to protect, preserve, conserve, restore, and sustain Button Rock Preserve's municipal drinking water storage and supply native ecosystems, wildlife habitat, and cultural resources in perpetuity to support preserve management and enhance the ecological fun function of Button Rock Preserve's natural systems, as well as the greater St. Vrain Creek watershed in which it presides. 
and to prescribe areas suitable for passive use in addition to areas closed for resource protection, facility protection, or public safety. So this plan um, also advances City Council's goals in terms of the um, 2019 climate emergency resolution in the areas of adaptation and resilience, uh, as well as the 2020 work plan, goal B2, to protect and respect our natural public amenities. Um, other plans that um, are, are important to this plan include our 2018 open space master plan, the 2019 wildlife management plan, and the 2021 sustainability plan. Why, why a management plan now? Because we haven't done it before, is why. And we needed to do it. And um, because of the purpose that I just went over with you, and because of everything else that I'm gonna say in the coming slides in terms of um, present day needs at the preserve and present day um, impacts. So in terms of how we developed the plan, uh, we had uh, three consulting groups help us with data collection and uh, planning facilitation, Colorado Natural Heritage Program, River Restoration, which did the hydrology, and DHM Design, which did the facilitation. And then over on the right, you'll see all of the agency partners that we had in this plan and on our technical advisory committee. Uh, we had a robust public involvement process as well. We had three public meetings, four public surveys. We informed three advisory boards, and we came to council at interim times during the planning process to update you. The main goals of uh, Button Rock Preserve are to protect the water quality, delivery, storage, and infrastructure, conserve the biodiversity, and then third, Provide passive recreational opportunities that do not adversely affect goals one and two. So in terms of baseline data collection, CNHP, the consulting, um, the out of Colorado State uh, University collected the botany and zoology data. River restoration collected the hydrology data. And other data that we collected throughout the process are road and trail conditions in terms of doing GIS mapping. We conducted a sign inventory, cultural, resor cultural resources, data collection, and infrastructure, as well as uh, a visitor use data collection process, um, looking at visitation, the rules and regulations, uh, staffing levels, and the different types of recreation. We also did a literature review throughout the process, and so that informed some of the science as well. So now on to results. Uh, this is just a timeline, um, especially for council members who haven't had the advantage of being here for our various interim updates. Um, the Button Rock Preserve opened to the public in 1965, um, and then in the 1990s, we started seeing more and more use, so we decided that we needed to formalize our trail system. Um, and then in the early 1990s, we slowly started adding different types of recreation. So fishing became allowed, dog walking, rock climbing. Um, and then we started seeing uh, in the 2010s a jump in visitor use. Then we had the flood, and then we saw another jump in visitor use, and then um, we kicked off this management plan process in 2019. 
after staff came to council in 2018 um, looking for dog policy updates, it was decided that we should do this comprehensive plan and collect the scientific data and see what we really do have at the preserve. So um, in terms of visitor use, um, this has been mentioned tonight too, Longmont's population has grown by 39% since 2000. And we know from our public surveys from this plan that uh, 65 to 74% of the people visiting the preserve have a Longmont zip code. Um, and the rest of the slides just kind of speak for themselves. You can see the numbers there. In 2018, we started using um, infrared trail counters and started counting cars as well as um, uh, hikers. Um, we conducted four public surveys, and these are some of the results. In public survey number two, people were asking for more restrooms and more trash cans, which is just, I, I think, indicative of the fact that we have a lot of people up there, a lot of use, a lot of trash being um, made. Um, public survey three and public survey four, you can see that um, we had good participation in each of these surveys. Public Survey 4 went over um, the proposed code updates that are part of this management plan. And um, the public agreed with 13 of the 14 proposed updates. This plan was taken to the advisory boards in February. All three advisory boards voted to accept the plan. Sustainability um, provided you with a letter of support that was attached to today's packet. Um, Parks and Recreation is accepting of the plan with the caveat that they were split on the dog recommendation. In terms of science, um, Button Rock Preserve is absolutely incredible in terms of the plants and wildlife that we have up there. We have six, in just one summer of data collection, this is just one short summer and it's not, it's just baseline data. Usually more, more years of data collection are, are typical. But in this one baseline, data collection round, we found six rare plants, four rare plant communities, four rare bats, um, eight bat species total, and there are 19 bat species in all of Colorado, so that's almost half the species represented in our little preserve. Um, CNHP found 65 bird species, and citizen science found 117 bird species in Button Rock. Um, in terms of what domestic dogs do, in a protected preserve. They do have immediate impacts in all these various categories. Um, they do displace wildlife, both physically and in terms of timing for their natural things that they wanna do, like reproduction or travel. Um, birds never habituate. We have various ground nesting bird species at Button Rock, Townsend Solitaire, wild turkeys. So they do stress out the wildlife. Um, in a local study that took place at Hall Ranch, um, they found that humans have an impact on wildlife on the trail, but when humans are accompanied by dogs, both on and off leash, their impact is increased. They looked in this study at impact uh, 200 meters from the trail, so 100 meters on either side, and they looked at ungulates like mule deer. So all of these are Hall Ranch. So these, all these same species occur at Button Rock. Small mammals were mice and rabbits, ground squirrels, squirrels. They're all impacted more um, by dogs accompanying humans than humans alone. 
In terms of hydrology, what we found is that we have 13 different drainage basins at Button Rock, and if you can picture the steep slopes, all those drainage basins, all the rain and snow melt and whatever environmental pollutants are, are there, they do end up in our reservoirs and our creek. Um, in terms of dog waste, it has impact on water, soil, and native biodiversity. These are some of the things that um, are the result. And these are some of the pictures, um, the dog waste pictures are from the preserve. Um, in summary, Button Rock Preserve has extremely high native biodiversity. 85% of the species, uh, the plant uh, and plant community species up there are native. Um, it has a rich cultural history and unique hydrology. And what we're, what we're dealing with and what we're looking to find balance for is the increasing recreation pressure. And we want to protect the water and preserve first. Um, water quality sampling is um, going to start giving us some results in the end of 2023. Um, we're looking to increase staffing and update the rules and expand the forest stewardship program and really expand the volunteer and education programming that we offer. Because one thing that we really saw in the comments from the public surveys is that people are looking for a way to give back. People really care about Button Rock Preserve and they want to know how they can help. So uh, in terms of recommendations, as you know, we are recommending prohibiting dogs at Button Rock for all the reasons that I've uh, covered, but also to be a good neighbor uh, to Boulder County when they planned Hall Ranch, their uh, connector trail that they share with us, their Button Rock trail that leads into Button Rock. They do not allow um, horses or bikes on that trail because they are not allowed in Button Rock. So then the public isn't confused about where they are um, in terms of the boundary. It's, a, it's also a porous border. Um, so it's, it's not just that one connector trail that, that, that people can access the two different um, open spaces. Um, in terms of dog lease enforcement, in the last, in 2021 and 2022, it's been the top code violation that rangers have seen up there. And then, um, this has also been mentioned tonight, there are, are quite a few um, other places for people to go and get outdoors with their dogs here alone in the city of Longmont, but also in lots of other places around the Front Range. Um, our next recommendation is management zones. And um, each management zone, so there are five management zones that we're recommending, and they each have a, a unique set of de desired conditions. So that's, you know, the optimal range of natural, cultural, recreation, and development that is appropriate in that zone. And then finally, um, at the end of the plan, we have a management action table where we've divided out actions and um, goals that we would like to achieve in, in a time frame for each. So it's either going to be in the short term, one to three years, midterm, three to five years, long term, over five years, or ongoing, or both, um, and then level impo of importance, one, two, or three in these categories. And then we are looking to uh, repeal and reenact the Button Rock Management Code um, with the rules and regulation updates that are part of this plan. 
that is the end of my presentation. You did well. Okay. <laughs> I didn't time myself. How was that? Very good. Under 15. Okay. Do we have any comments or questions from our counselors? This is great. Thank you very much. It was well, well done. And it, it gave us a very concise reason as to why you were doing all of this. So thank you. Thank you. Look at these people up here. They need questions. <laughs> okay, Councillor Waters, thank you. Thanks, Mayor Peck. Thank Danielle, thanks. Um, I think I was in the Prab meeting in 2018 when this whole thing, when you brought this to Prab and, and got it going, right, got it launched. As I recall, we talked that night about the, the likelihood that whenever this came together, dogs were, would be the biggest issue. You know, of all the other recommendations. So, uh, you may you may or may not you probably don't have answers to the questions that I have. But just to kind of reinforce some of what you've heard, but if, if any of the others do, it would be helpful. Um, anybody know how many miles of trails we have in Longmont? Oh, that's where I'm thinking. David David's saying over a hundred miles. over hundred. So over a hundred miles of trails. How many of those miles are dogs? Are we prohibiting? Dogs on leash, leashes. Barely any, any, barely any where we're prohibiting dogs. Of those 100 miles, are there any of those 100 miles where dogs can't be on a leash? There are places in, yeah, the Sandstone Ranch Nature Area uh, where we prohibit dogs. All right. That's it? Yes. How, do you, just, uh, how many state and federal parks do we have in Colorado? A number. Thousands of miles. Many. Of places <laughs> where you can be with your dog on a leash, right? And your point that this... What, what differentiates this from, from trails, greenways, state parks, federal you know, parks, is this is a preserve. Its primary purpose, not the only, but primary purpose, is water storage, and water quality is the highest priority. Correct. Right? Correct. As yes. you described snow melt and runoff on those street steep slopes, what, what is the effect when, we're, when there's dog waste left uh, in those in those watersheds, right, and and the melt occurs or the rain occurs. What's the effect on on the reservoir itself well, and, the, and the status of water quality? For the dog waste that gets left behind, that doesn't get picked up, um, it either it it stays there for a long time because we know dog waste doesn't decompose readily or quickly. So it either affects the soil um, or it ends up in the source water. And that's before we account for the effects on all the other, the rest of the environmental concerns, when wildlife or other flora and fauna in the, in the area. So, um, you know, we heard references to parking. I mean, I, I've been in those conversations where, in fact, we've heard from our rangers about uh, just the nightmare, right, of trying to manage just the traffic that comes up and, and, and keep parking cars where they're supposed to be. Uh, and, and, and make certain there are areas for people to turn around and, and exit. Um, so all those recommendations in terms of permits, uh, regulating or trying to control the number of visitors, whether it's through day passes, I, I, I think the whole bundle of recommendations makes sense. If dogs are the biggest issue, I, I think we ought to be really clear that our first priority, and we got to balance competing interests, the first priority, first concern has to be water quality and preserving 
that is as pristine a water storage as we can possibly do. So I, I love the work you've done. I appreciate the recommendations. I'm sympathetic to dog. I'm a dog lover. I'm sympathetic to dog lovers. I'd love to be, and I'd like, my wife won't let me have a dog. If I'd not run for mayor, my wife said I could have had a dog. You should know that. <laughs> I wish I had a dog now. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, no I appreciate comment. your. <laughs> I wasn't looking for one. I appreciate your work, and uh, and I support these recommendations totally. So, um, I wouldn't make a comment because uh, David Bell had told me this when we started this idea in 2018, 2019. It isn't, and for the public, it isn't just the dog waste. It's also the urine, because you can, you know, you pick up the dog waste, but. The urine also affects our water, and um, there's no way to, to not, we don't collect that. So um, it, isn't, it isn't a punishment for dog owners to not take their dog up there. It is a, a why it's called a preserve. It's a preservation. So uh, thank you very much. I thought this was done very well. Uh, Mayor, Council, absent any, <laughs> we're going to bring this back to you. We wanted to make the presentation tonight in study session so you could hear it. If council had any changes, we could react to it, but we're ready to bring those at the next council meeting. Okay. Um, I do want to, it was brought up by In Public Invited to be Heard about the parking area that was a truck turnaround. David, can you explain that for us? Sure again, Mayor, Council, David Bell, Director of Parks and Natural Resources. Um, one of the challenges that we face up there is we do have limited parking. And what we saw with the public and how determined they were, especially during COVID to get out and do stuff, was that once that parking lot filled up, Boulder County Parks, or Boulder County, allows for parking on rural roads. So that's part of the parking policy. If you can park along a public road and be out of the flow of traffic, that's their intent. They're very hesitant to remove that because that really is what they expect people to do. They don't have other parking places. So during 2020, we were able to work with Boulder County to get temporary no parking signs along one side of the road just so we could get emergency vehicles through. We had another area that where it used to be called, and can't correct me, the old school bus turnaround. And that was a spot that had gotten widened out and cars were parking in there kind of haphazardly. Part of that is on city property. We tried to organize that so that the cars could park in a more organized fashion. The other side of the road is Boulder County property, I believe. Ken might have some other information on that. But on that, again, it's county road. We had county transportation come up and say, are people allowed to park in this area? Can we do something to help with that? And they said, yes, people can work there. And the, the, the plan you have in place is probably the best we can do. So. It's a wide spot, so we're allowing people to park on both sides of the road, and it allows for that emergency vehicles to get back and forth through there. And again, if we remove that, people still can just park along the side of the road. It, it really is county policy. Does it prevent uh, buses, trucks from turning there, or even cars if they need to go? But does that prevent that from happening? I, I will go with the car piece. I know cars can turn around. You know, we, I've been okay. up on the weekends where I do it, so if there's cars up and they need to turn around, they can turn around there. With vehicles on both sides, we made sure that emergency vehicles could pass through that spot. Um, as far as I, I don't know if now with parking on both sides, if a school bus could actually turn around in there. But again, what you typically see is that high use where you have parking on both sides, the parking lot fill is going to be on the, the weekends, on those nice days. So we don't typically see that when we would probably have school buses up there. And then again, one of the reasons we get some 
comments about why don't we have more parking down below. Again, that is kind of working there, our fire um, agencies, so they have access down at the gate to get vehicles in there too. So we really have tried to make sure that we're allowing for emergency vehicle access and as much parking in a safe manner as possible. Okay, and you probably said this in the report, but um, is this open year-round? Yes. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Councillor Martin. Thank you, Mayor Peck. Um, I have a procedural question um, because the council communication says that gives us options um, to e accept direct for revision or not accept, um, and yet uh, you also said it would be brought formally to council during the next regular session. Uh, are you asking for direction this evening uh, to know whether to make modifications before then? Correct. Correct. Yes. Then I would like to move that we accept the plan as written for formalization in the coming session. Second. Okay, that's been moved by Councillor Martin, seconded by Councillor McCoy to uh, approve acceptance of the um, Button Rock Management Plan. Uh, is there any more discussion? Seeing none, let's vote on that. get my screen back so that carries uh, unanimously so thank you team you did great thank you Mayor Sandy had no bills for no bills for for review tonight, so there nothing for Sandy to present on on that one. Just okay. Then we are mayor and council comments. Do we have any comments from uh, anyone on council? Councilor Hidalgo Fairing. You know, I just um, where's Sandy? Where'd she go? There you are. I just wanted to throw it again. Thank you so much. Oh, actually, all of staff for putting together a very well-organized, um, very well-presented retreat. Um, it was, every, yeah, it was, it was, I want you to come to our district and help us plan some stuff, because <laughs> it, was, it was, couldn't be beat, so. <laughs> but thank you very much, so I just wanted to, to shout out, I, I was able to, to walk away with a very clear understanding of our work plan, where, where are all of our priorities that, um, that opportunity to just talk as a, as a group. So thank you very much. And I would like to uh, tell everyone that PRPA is celebrating 50 years of utility service for the four cities in our, uh, that own this utility. And they've done a great job, I think. We didn't go down when it really snowed and hit <laughs> below zero. So they've done a great job. The other thing is that this weekend in Denver is the Indian festival where different tribes come together and do some com competition and dancing, etc. Powwow. I knew that Shakita would know the right word. <laughs> so, um, and it's going to be all weekend at the Coliseum. Denver Coliseum. So if you have time, go and watch. It's incredible. 
We are in now city manager comments. No comments, Mayor Council. City Attorney Eugene. No comments, Mayor. Thank you. Uh, can I have a motion to adjourn? Second. It's been moved by Councillor McCoy, seconded by Councillor Hidalgo, that we adjourn. Let's vote. Okay. That passes unanimously. We are adjourned.